apologising for like dog. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor, Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. After a short break, we're back just in time for the business end of the club championships and much more besides. And we're kicking off this new season of the podcast with two cracking interviews. In a few moments, we'll be hearing from the newest member of the European Challenge Tour. Kinsale's John Murphy has been making headlines across the golfing world of late for his exploits in recent weeks, which included a top 10 finish at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship and we caught up with the man himself after he secured his Challenge Tour card for 2022. We're also going to hear from Ballinascarty hurling captain Owen O'Brien following on from their crowning as the kings of Carberry hurling last Saturday week. The Ballmen beat St Mary's 22 points to 14 and we'll chat to Owen about that victory as well as their clash with Passage in the County Championship this weekend but Kieran it's been a few weeks since we spoke after we both took some much needed and deserved I would say annual leave so I assume you're just thrilled to be back chatting to yours truly on a weekly basis I got up early this morning Jack because I was so looking forward to recording this podcast I said we're back we're back I think that the good folk of West Cork and beyond have missed their their daily dose or the weekly dose of, of Jack and Kieran so it is uh it's great to be back but like you said it's lovely to have the break as well and um I did something on, on on this break that I'd never done before Jack I went to the cinema on my own oh, lovely um, my favorite it, my favorite hobby Oh, my first time ever doing it and it won't be the last it was just we were we we're here at home one Thursday night um, and I saw James Bond was on and he was on at eight o'clock and this is seven o'clock and I knew herself couldn't go to the cinema and the kids were going to bed for school and I just said you know what I'm going to go in to the cinema on my own and she looked at me and she was like on your own and I said yeah yeah on my own so off I took I booked my ticket online off I went in ah, man what a treat large popcorn large popcorn large coke like and the beauty of it is you don't have to talk to anyone you know you can just sit down and enjoy the film and even in the drive in and out of the cinema if it's just like i said my first time doing it but it won't be my last so um even though i could tell herself i i, I did miss her a small bit um but the reality is no it was just just to sit back and not have to talk to anyone because i'm one of those when i'm watching tv or a match or a movie I don't like people talking to me. I just want to watch what's on TV. And I don't like questions coming in from left and right about, about this and that. So um, that's but like, there's a lot of that's the highlight of my two weeks off, but it's opened a door to this new world. So I've done marked on my calendar for the next couple of weeks and, and many more, I think, in the, in the months to come. Yeah, funny enough, I actually have a cinema date with myself this weekend to see the aforementioned Dune. So I'm very much looking forward to that one i did go to james bond with my 
significant other and I absolutely loved the movie but as you said the talking can great and answering questions about a movie that I'm watching for a first time is difficult so questions like who's that and I say I don't know it's the first time they've been on screen who is she from what's what other movie is she in do you know it's like do you know what just watch and write down your questions on your phone and we can discuss it after so yeah I hear you going to the cinema alone is a rare treat just something I wanted to ask you as well because obviously it's been a few weeks since we spoke about the wider sporting world and before we dive in to the West Cork sporting world there is obviously the man himself CR7 continuing to make headlines he made another one last night with a cracking equaliser against Atalanta in the Champions League but Let's forget about that result for a moment and forget about their 3-0 win against Spurs at the weekend because Ronaldo scored an absolute, probably a better goal in that game. But a game he did not find himself on the score sheet was the home tie against Liverpool the, the week prior when the Reds came to Manchester and put a spanking, we'll say. They gave Manchester United a paddling, beating them 5-0 on their home turf the songs were sang the beers were drank but ollie still remains at the wheel so just give us your overall thoughts on that and the last few weeks for manchester united in the premier league and the champions league as a liverpool fan herself jack it feels like you've been waiting to kind of heist this and ambush me with this question but um just for the record, Ronaldo did score against Liverpool, but it was ruled out for offside. But what a great finish it was. Well, then that doesn't count as a goal, so... Probably the best finish of that game, but obviously <laughs> doesn't go down in the record books. But no, like, uh, United got the draw against Atlanta last night. They beat Spurs, but it's all just papering over the cracks. The reality is um, that, that under Solskjaer, United aren't going to win anything of significance. Um, it's... Uh, I think that, that, that hammering, that embarrassment at home to Liverpool, like, that was... The, the low, the lowest point I've had in years watching United. It was just abysmal. Like um, you're kind of looking at it, saying like, "I hope, I hope this isn't real." It was, it was nightmarish stuff because every time Liverpool cut through, they scored, and it wasn't even Liverpool playing quite well. United were just that bad. And uh, I saw some stat last night that of the 20 Premier League teams, United have conceded the third most goals so far this season across all competitions. Like they're they're wide open at the back. Um, Brand got injured on Tuesday night and City are coming to Old Trafford on, on Saturday afternoon. So um, the reality is that could easily be a 3 or 4 nil for City as well if United play like they have been doing um, the last couple of weeks. I just want to give out about Spurs here. What are Spurs at? Because they made United look half decent last Saturday night and they made Solskjaer look like a more than competent manager when he changed his system. But Spurs were being Spurs and Spurs were Spursy. Um, and all of a sudden, in last night against Atlanta, it was like, okay, United didn't really take two steps forward against Spurs. Spurs were just that bad. Um, uh, shaky is a word I've heard described in the Man United defence, but that's all over the pitch. Um, just lucky to have Ronaldo right now because he is saving Solskjaer's um, skin almost week after week, game after game after this stage. And you would think so, uh, Ronaldo was even part of the bigger picture back in the summer, yet here he is now, and he's the fellow keeping Solskjaer in, in the job with, with his goals. So um, it looks like Ole is going to be at the wheel for another couple of weeks, another couple of months. Um, we don't know what the final destination will be, but it's not going to end in success. Uh, can, is, can we just then give a brief uh, bit of context to this? Because obviously I am... Um, 
cheering you about the brilliant Liverpool result. But just from a United point of view, like we're, a, I guess, could you say we're a quarter of the way through the season now, 10 games or so? 10 games in the league, yeah. Yeah, United, if they win this weekend, they'll be level on points with the irrepressible, the brilliant, the unstoppable Manchester City. And they're top of their Champions League group after four but games. Th- so th- to th- use... Th- Third in the Champions League group. No, no, top. Sorry, oh, top. Right, sorry. They're top, top after sorry, last yeah. night. Yeah. So just to use the old uh, footballing cliche, if I had offered you top of the Champions League group and potential to be level on points with City a quarter of the way through the season, if I had offered you that at the start of the season, you'd you'd have, you'd, have, you'd have snapped my hand off, Kieran. But the context is that they're eight points behind Chelsea. See, City are five points off the lead as well, and. When you consider that the, the money they spent over the summer, bringing in Sancho, Varane, and obviously Ronaldo as well, like there's no room for excuses for Solskjaer now. He has a good team there. He's a really good team of players that should be challenging for the big prizes. Um, but uh, drawing at home to Everton, uh, losing at home to Villa, uh, they're just dropping silly points. Even the draw against Southampton earlier in, in, in the year, they're games that a championship or title winning team needs to be winning but but they're not and if, if you look at look at Liverpool Chelsea and City and, and all it's been said a lot in the last couple of weeks they, they've a defined system that they play to every week and you know what you're going to get um, if you look at Liverpool front four if Manny comes out and if Jota goes in you just know still how they're going to operate but United's on a cuff it's just relying on moments of brilliance from brilliant players like Ronaldo in the last couple of games um, like his goal against Spurs was just out of this world but even his link up for Cavani for their for that second goal was brilliant as well and again two great goals last night against Atlanta got United out, out of trouble again but that won't last forever your look Ronaldo can't keep popping up with, with winning goals or equalising goals week after week after week the look will run out at some stage and it's just yeah, I'm, I'm not too optimistic I was optimistic in the summer when I saw the, the players coming in but the reality is that right now they're not performing as a team in a system that works against the best out of these teams. Like if you look at Sancho, Jesus, they spent 70 million to bring in a right winger. Now he doesn't play. It just doesn't, I don't know. I don't see the logic in, in, in what's going on. It's, it looks like it's going from week to week to week at the moment. So um, that could all change because it's a very fickle game. If United beat City on Saturday, of course I'll be, I, I, I'll be cheering. And if United can go on a run, Jesus, hopefully love to see Solskjaer be successful. But the reality is, I, I don't think he'll be the man to take them to where they want to go. Because, to be honest, Jack, right, if, if Tuchel or Klopp or Guardiola left their job in the morning, they get a top job. But if Solskjaer was sacked from United this week, what level would he manage at next? Well, from Old Trafford to the old head, Kinsale's John Murphy has been making headlines across the golfing world, it, uh, what a professional, in recent weeks, in particular, his top 10 finish at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship and his form in those recent weeks has seen him secure his European Challenge Tour card for 2022, which essentially means, as he said himself, he's got a job for next year. He'll be a full-time golfer again next year, which is just brilliant at this stage of his career. He's only 23. He only turned professional a number of months ago and already he secured his card for the European Challenge Tour and Kieran, you spoke to the Kinsale man last week we're going to play the interview now but firstly how was John and how has he 
viewed his performances over the last number of weeks, which has seen him, as we said, grab so many headlines. First off, Jack, that's one of the greatest links I've ever heard Old Trafford to the old head. So well well done on that one. Um, but no, John Murphy's in great form. And no wonder he's in great form. He's had an incredible couple of weeks, incredible couple of months. Uh, like you said, he joined the professional ranks earlier in the summer back in June. And that was coming off the back of a really good amateur career. And he was with the, the Great Britain and Ireland team in the Walker Cup. Um, so he, he turned pro and... He's done really, really well. Like a top 10 finish at the Alfred Dunhill Links. His biggest payday of his career, over €80,000, um, was the prize of finishing tied ninth that weekend. And he was in the final group on the final day with Danny Willis at the Al- at the Alfred Dunhill, which is an incredible feat for a, for a man who's only amateur a, a couple of months back. So um, finished t- tied for ninth there. And then the week after, he went, he went to the Spanish Open and he, I think it was, it was a tie for 24th or so on. So... He was putting back-to-back solid results together. And then probably the highlight of it all was getting his challenge through a card for 2022, which opens the door to a lot more possibilities next year. So um, as you hear from John now, he's in great form. He's after a very busy year. He had 28 tournaments between amateur and pro, which is an awful lot. So the plan now is for the next couple of weeks is just relax. Um, he's a fellow Man United fan as well, which, which is great to hear. So even before and after this chat, we were both consoling each other about the, about the fate of our beloved Reds. But the good news is, on the course, John Murphy's going a lot better than Man United. And, and as you'll hear from him now, he's loved the last couple of weeks and months. Delighted now to be joined on the podcast by Kinsale golfer John Murphy. Jesus, John, the last time I was talking to you on the podcast was before the Walker Cup. I think that was back in April or May. And so much has happened since then. Um, you've gone from amateur to pro and you've taken the pro ranks by storm. You've top 10 finish at the Alfred Dunhill Links. You've won your challenge tool card for next year. So um, it's been an incredible couple of months for you. And before we start looking at those, those, um, those tournaments and those events one by one, have you had a chance yourself to sit back and think, Jesus, what a, what a couple of weeks, what a couple of months. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose it just it went so quickly that it was tough to kind of uh, reflect on each week. Um, so I suppose from a golfing point of view, I've been doing my stats just to kind of analyse. Uh, I've been trying to stay on top of my stats anyway, just analyse what or like how my game has been each week and what I've been doing when I'm playing well, etc. But uh yeah, I suppose I haven't really had time to reflect on the mental side of it and, you know, how I've kind of felt that for each week. I've been trying with the psychologist that I've been working with to just make note of, uh, you know, how I've been feeling each week, what I've been thinking, what my routine has been like, been like and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I suppose it's... Uh, no, I, I, to, to answer your question, I haven't really had time to digest it all, but that's what the, that's what the off-season is for. That's what the next few weeks are for, to kind of analyse where I can improve and, and see how I can uh, play even better in years to come. Like I was saying, John, it's been a whirlwind couple of months for you. But let's go back sort of after the Walker Cup when you left your amateur days behind you and, and you turned pro and you went off on the Challenge Tour and you were doing events around Europe. How did you find that initially, going on the Challenge Tour? And how much of a change was it from what you were used to um, as, as an amateur? And, and even compared to like you were in the States the last couple of years as well. So how big an adjustment was that for you coming back home, coming back to Europe? Um, yeah, I suppose... You know, even I think Patrick Harrington might have said it to you about when you mentioned that I was turning pro, and you know, I got it off a few people um, that 
the worst thing that you can do is to change, you know, get, get to the pro ranks and think, all right, I need to do this, this and this differently. Or even like, I'm very much of the opinion that good golf translates around the world. You know, it doesn't matter if you're playing in America, in Europe, it's, you know, I, I don't think there is such thing as a style of golf. You know, golf is golf. If you swing it well, if you hit good shots, you're going to get rewarded. And um, that's kind of the approach that I took. You know, I just figured that, all right, we'll go to the challenge short. It's not all going to be, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. You know, there's going to be some, some tough days and, uh, you know, it might initially feel like you're going to be a, a small fish in a big pond because um, there's obviously thousands of people out there trying to trying to make their living off golf. So, yeah, I just, as I said, I kind of just tried to not transition and just do what I've been doing because I've always, well, I, yeah, I felt the last couple of years that my game's been going in a good direction and that if I can just stick to, to what I've been doing, it'll translate well to the professional game and, yeah, so I just tried not to really adjust or not to change anything, really. And that's probably key to when you think about it. When you're becoming a professional golfer, um, it, it's 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 a cutthroat business in a way because you're you're playing for your your future, you're playing for the next year and the year after, and you're you're playing for your your living and and your income. So is it very important too to try and kind of part that to the side and just focus on your golf and not think about everything else that's going on around it. Yeah, you know, that's one thing that I was wondering coming into the professional game. Is that something I'm going to struggle with? Is that going to, some, is that going to be something that I, you know, always have in the back of my mind? And no, um, I think I, I am such a competitive person that I've always, it doesn't matter what I've been playing, it doesn't matter what level I've been at, it doesn't matter if it's for 10 quid or a million quid, it's, it's always kind of been in the back of my mind that, you know, I suppose just winning or, or, or doing well has always been something that's, uh, that's I suppose, made, driven me to, to be better. Um, so it didn't matter for me how, like what, what the scale of it was. And that's something that I did notice coming into the professional game was, you know, one of my, I think my first tournament I had a putt. And uh, it was like, I, I figured afterwards that it was maybe for the, for the difference of like coming 10th and 14th, which is maybe the difference of, of 2000, points or, or, or whatever that is so I just kind of you know it, it didn't even dawn on me until until after really and um, you know it was for me it was still just the same as you know it was still the difference between finishing 10th and 14th which is exactly how it would have been, would have been feeling in an amateur tournament you know it was the same kind of level of intensity and pressure so uh, I didn't I didn't really find it to be much of an adjustment at all. And did you find any differences between amateur and pro like I said you're on, on the challenge tour and you were you were trying to get points and you were trying to earn your challenge to a card for next year. Did you find, or what are the big differences between amateur and pro? Yeah, I think in professional golf, you're very much so defined by your ranking. Um, so like you're, you know, you are what your number is essentially, which uh, is a lot of golfers struggle with. You know, I listen to a, a few podcasts now from PJ Tour players saying how they really did struggle with being defined by kind of a number. Um, but it's something that I just really tried not to think about this year. Uh, I took the approach, well, I suppose in particular this year, I took the approach, look, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have Q school at the end of the year to try to get my tour card. You know, I, I am turning pro late in the year. I have a limited number of starts. So, uh, you know, I essentially just took the approach that I was kind of an apprentice this year and that I needed to learn my trade out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think about the rankings the whole year, you know, as, as the, as the days went on and you know as it did come closer to the end of the season it obviously tried to creep into the back of your mind more and more but as I said I, I just tried to keep the foot down play good golf and I told myself wherever that leaves me at the end of the year then that's there's nothing we can do about it if I just give it my best every day and yeah thankfully it uh, it worked out to be that I got a, a full challenge to record by the end of it. 
the apprentice always became the master. The Alfred Dunhead links uh, start of October. That was an incredible tournament. Uh, a top 10 finish for you, John, over there in, in a world-class field. I think it was just a, the weekend after the Ryder Cup as well, and there was a couple of the European Ryder Cup team keeping you company in that top 10. You were in great company. And take me back to, to that tournament, but especially that Saturday night when you knew that you were going to be in the final pairing on Sunday with Danny Willis. Um, how did you deal with that, knowing all of a sudden that you were in a real live chance of winning a, a huge tournament? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it certainly felt, felt a bit different, you know. I'd, when you go to sleep leading or doing well in an amateur event, you know, you're nervous, you wake up the next morning, and this might sound a bit contradictory because I just said there, there wasn't much of a difference depending on the, on the money, but it wasn't even the money, it was more so the... It was more so the atmosphere around, you know, teeing it up in the final group at the old course. Like, I remember when I tapped in on the Saturday afternoon, checked the scoring afterwards. I was like, well, I might be in one of the last few groups here. Like, you know, I was tied with Carol Hatton, Shane Lowry, a, a couple more. I was like, nice, I'll get to, you know, play with some good players tomorrow, uh, you know, get a feel for what it's like to, to be doing well. And then by the end of the day, I think I was in tied second. And I still, I worked it out and I didn't think there was any way that I could have been in the last group because... Uh, you know, I didn't have the low score on the old course and I didn't have the best Saturday score and that's normally how they do it. So, um, and then I remember I was just sitting in the house and uh, I was trying my best not to, you know, look at my phone or anything or just stay away from, from that side of things. And I remember Ian, my coach, shouted in being like, John, do you see the groups? And I was like, uh, no. And he was like, oh, no, you're in the last group, you and Danny Willis. I was like, <laughs> so the, the, the next, the next probably 10 or 12 hours after that were, uh, nervy to say it the least yeah I mean it was a tough night's sleep and all but uh that's the worst part of it is the the anticipation first um you know I've, I've already said it and I'll say it again once I was out there it was genuinely like it's easy to say but it was honestly as comfortable as I've ever been on a golf course it was as content and happy and as enjoy uh, as you know probably is as much as I've ever enjoyed uh, around the golf um and that kind of it gives me a lot of confidence going forward because I now know, you know, I always would have looked at people in, in those high intensity situations and been like, geez, how do they, how do they handle themselves and, you know, conduct themselves under that much pressure? You know, when you have that much, that much points and money and everything on the line, how, like, how is it possible to uh, conduct yourself like that? But, you know, it's, it's one thing I learned that once you're out there, it's just, it, it's as comfortable as I've ever been. And yeah, certainly uh, glad that I was able to feel that way. That's a huge positive to take, John. Did you say that, that you felt right at home in the final pairing in a big tournament on centre stage, Sky Sports, live on TV, but you felt you, you felt at ease there, you felt very comfortable, which is a that's probably a huge positive that you can take from that and use going forward. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, like even even uh you know, it was it, it was just cool, like the the whole experience of it all, which maybe eased the the stress levels a bit was because I was so like consumed by the fact that wow, this is really cool. You know, I went into the jigger in for a bit of grub the night before, uh, which is just next to the 17th hole. And, you know, all that was in there was really Danny Willis, Shane Lowry, Terrell Hatton. And I was just kind of in there and I was like, geez, this is cool. Like, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing you dream of, you know, getting to, getting to be in this company and to compete at this level. So um, certainly makes me motivated to be back for more. That, that Sunday, it's Sky Sports at home. I, I was watching that round unfold and you were a superstar in that final round. And all of a sudden, I think at one point you were second, weren't you just on your own behind Danny Willis? So, when you're on the course like that and it's going well, do you allow yourself to dream and think or do you still have to try and focus on the next shot, the next shot? Or what's your mindset like? Yeah, you know, like to be honest, there was a couple of moments out there where I kind of had to 
had to pinch myself, not even because I was like, geez, I'm, I, I might win this, just because I was like, you know, I birdied the first, I, I think I birdied three and four or something and like made a great birdie on four. Danny Willett made a bogey. And uh, I was like, geez, like this is, to, to be honest, at that point, I was just really happy with how I was able to conduct myself under those circumstances. You know, I had people come over from home watching and there was, obviously I knew there was thousands of people watching on the TV and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, certainly it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's easy when things are going well, it, you know, it was, it was very easy to feel that way and to feel, to feel comfortable. But what I was happiest with was how, how comfortable I felt when I started to struggle and how I was able to kind of, to kind of get back. But there certainly was a few moments um, over the course of that final round where I kind of had to, had to pinch myself and bring myself back down to, to kind of, a, yeah, I suppose a level frame of mind so that I didn't get too ahead of myself or too excited with anything that was going on. And I, I think I did a good job of that. You know, I never got, ahead of myself, never said, oh, this is going to be cool if I finish here, here, here. I never once said that. I never once thought about where, but what will come if I finish wherever. So that's that's what I was happiest with about that day. What was impressive too was how you bounced back from the ninth hole. I think it was a double bogey six there and, and that knocked you back down the, the standings. But you didn't let that hole wreck the, the back nine, if you know what I'm saying. Like you, you bounced back and you, and you still finished very strongly again, which again shows your temperament and you were like we were saying earlier, you just felt right at home there. You looked comfortable. You didn't let that one bad hole um, kind of just destroy everything you'd built up to that stage. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, especially like coming down those last few holes there, well, 17 and 18, I'm thinking of in particular, you know, I hadn't seen a scoreboard all day, so I didn't know where I stood. And uh, the first place I saw a scoreboard was on the 17th. And I was in a horrible position over the back of the green on that road on 17. And, I looked at the scoreboard and saw that I was in, I think, tied 12th or something. And I knew I needed to finish Parabardi to get into top 10, which actually got me into the Spanish Open the week after. If you come top 10 in the European Tour, you're into the next week. So, uh, yeah, thankfully, I was I was standing on the road and hit a great chip off the road to uh, about eight feet, made the pot and then made a, a, a nice birdie on the last. And, you know, that was that was a cool experience as well, getting to walk down, you know, the, the green surrounded with people and... Um, you know, even Shane Lowry was walking off the green as I got to the green and just him and his caddy were very nice. They were supportive. They were like, go on, John, get this one up and down. And, uh, you know, just the small stuff like that made made that week a bit more special. You mentioned earlier the support of home, your sister Faye, and a contingent from Kinsale headed across on the, on, on the Sunday to, to, to cheer you on. To have that support, to have that backing, what's that been like? Yeah, obviously to, you know, I would love to have had my parents there. It was just a little bit too, too late and not feasible. Faye actually... Uh, decided to travel over, I think, the, the Friday. Um, so she gave it a bit more time. But then obviously my, yeah, to, just to have some people that are closest to me over there was incredible. Uh, you know, it was just a great experience to, to I suppose, you know, e even some people surprised me to, coming over, didn't, didn't tell me that they were coming over. And just to have that support, you know, anytime I made a putt on the front line to have, to have people just shouting, you know, shouting at me in support and knowing that, like, I had more support than, say, Danny Willard, who was leading the tournament, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. But it, it was great just to, to be able to play in front of that many people. You know, that's, that's really enjoyable for, for golfers is getting to play in front of people. Um, and certainly there was uh, enough people out there that day to, to put the pressure on a bit. So, uh, yeah, that, that's really enjoyable for us as golfers to get to play in, in front of crowds like that. Did you only chat with Danny Willett after? Kind of had any words of advice to you, or like you said there, like the likes of Shane Lowry, 
um, offered you encouragement towards the end of your final round, but had you a chance to talk to any developers over and just even to pick their brains and see how they do things? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I had a good chat with a few a few of the golfers, like, throughout a few days, you know, even the lads that I played with the first couple of days were, were very good to me. Danny, well, it was very nice to me throughout the whole, the whole final round, very supportive, and, um, yeah, certainly... Uh, he was he was a pleasure to play with on that Sunday, and yeah, Shane as well. It was great to kind of have a chat with Shane. Um, one of the nights inside in the inside in the jigger in, he he was very helpful and uh, encouraging of what I was doing. And his caddy Bo as well, who's obviously uh, seen a lot in this game, he was very encouraging. So it's great, you know. And actually, there was two there was two people in particular, Paul Dunn and Cormac Shervin. They're two kind of they're two Irish golfers, obviously on the European tour, and uh, they were incredible to me throughout the whole week. Um, you know, they kind of took me under their wing, played every practice round with me. They knew it was kind of my first high-profile European Tour event. And, you know, obviously Paul Dunn's, he's won the British Masters. He's won, you know, he's done a lot of great things in this game. So to have someone like him there guiding me and, to, and telling me, uh, I, I suppose, just giving me words of encouragement and helping me out was certainly fantastic. And there was no rest for you then. You were straight into the Spanish Open in Madrid a couple of days later. And again, another incredible performance, I think, is that you were tied for 24th, shot a... Three hundred sixty-eight on the final round. Um, another Im impressive performance. What were the big learnings or the big positives you're taking from the Spanish Open? I suppose that week I was just very happy with how I was playing. You know, I never really got it going. I think I just shot. I, I think I shot three sixty-eight and a sixty-nine. So you know, I was I was very happy just with how I played. And you know, swinging it great, hitting lots of great shots. Just never really got it going. So. You know, to to know that I never really got that bit of momentum going, and I could still finish twenty fourth. You know, it, it kind of makes me very excited for what could happen if I if I did get a bit of momentum behind me, or if I did, you know, if, if I did get everything to click at the right time, then um, certainly it makes me confident that I can be higher up that leaderboard. It's a great experience too, John. I think to play two big tournaments back to back and see how how pros work in that environment. Like you came off the high of the the top ten in in, in Scotland and then straight into in, into the Spanish Open, so. To live that life for those couple of weeks, like it gave you a real insight into 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 the life of a, a pro golfer at that level. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It did. You know, getting to I suppose just be in the same environment as the likes of like for example, one day the two Mike Addy and I were going over to the chipping green, hitting a few chips, and it was just us and John Ram on the chipping green. And uh, at one point, Shane actually and Mike Addy just went to take a picture of our two tour bags, which were next to each other, and uh, then. As he was taking the picture, John Ram just like kind of stopped and turned to us and goes, "Hey, there's fifty bucks." And uh, like it, at the time, my caddy, I, I think he got a bit of a fright, but John was only joking. He said after a little bit, he's like, ah, "I'm only messing with you." And then he was talking away to us, and he was again very nice. Um, that, that's one thing you learn about everybody on tour is you know, growing up, you think everybody's a superstar, and you think, "Wow, they're," you know, you literally look at them as if they're superhumans, but they're all just so normal and down to earth and. Uh, I really enjoyed just getting to getting to spend some time with a lot of them. I saw an interview you had with um, Saturday Sport recently, and you're talking about getting your challenge to a card for 2022. Hope that's probably the big positive you've taken and the big highlight from the last couple of months. How important is that to have your challenge to a card for 2022? And what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to. I suppose you have to crawl before you can walk, and you have to walk before you can run. So uh, it's not a matter of just. You know, it's very, very rare. Obviously, it happened to Roy McIlroy, where I think he actually finished second or third at the Dunhill and got his European Tour card. But it's very rare where you finish your term professional and you have a European Tour card within a few months. You know what I mean? So, um, certainly to have a status on the Challenge Tour next year was huge, given the fact that 
nobody can earn it through Q school at the end of the year because it's cancelled this year. So to have a, a, a status and a full schedule to play next year, and then obviously the top 20 on the Challenge Tour will progress to the European Tour next year. So, uh, yeah, that's certainly something that I was uh, very, I suppose, happy with at the end of this year. You know, it wasn't easy given the fact that I only turned pro halfway through the year and given the fact that I was playing off limited invites, but um, thankfully managed to get myself a full card for next year to have a full schedule to play. You, you obviously feel comfortable. You, you feel very comfortable and at ease and at home at this level. So given what you've achieved the last couple of months, is the plan now, John, to over the winter, even to next year, just to put, put, put the pieces of the jigsaw together to build on what you've achieved? Yeah, 100%, Jan. You know, I, I really don't want to get ahead of myself. You know, I'm, I'm still only the 465th ranked golfer in the world, so I have about 464 places to go to. To, to get to where I'd love to be but uh you know there's there's a lot of improving to do you know I, I know that there's a lot of a lot of areas for improvement in my game which I'm which I'm very excited for you know to try and uh, try and unlock those and um yeah I suppose I'm just going to try and, and sharpen up in every way I can uh you know I think I I think once you get to a certain level you kind of have your swing built and you have your your way of playing you just need to learn how to improve it and uh, just shave off that that one percent every year. You know, it's it's all about those fine margins from here on out. So I just need to need to find ways of just trying to get that little bit better every day. You played twenty eight tournaments this year, which is a hectic schedule. So what's the plan for the next couple of weeks and months? Is is it is it feet up or how are you, how are you going to relax and unwind? Yeah, you know, I every year I try and force myself to take a couple of weeks off because it kind of gets to the end of the year and you're kind of going to practice and you feel a bit burnt out and you feel you know especially when you play that hectic schedule you feel a bit like you're going to practice because you have to as opposed to to wanting to and then it makes your practice less efficient and I try to force myself to to take a bit of time off as much as I as much as I, you know all, a lot of the best golfers in the world do it it's not a it, it's not just a personal thing it's it's something that certainly uh, I think is pretty common among some of the best in the world so you know I I'm obsessed with the game of golf I find it difficult to do it you know I find it very difficult to sit down here now and not go pick up a club and, and look for ways to improve it and get better but I, I don't think it'll do well for me in the long run so yeah as of right now I'm trying to trying to find a few ways to uh to spend my time you know I'm, I'm going to try to go to the gym a good bit and I'm booking for a few physio sessions and stuff like that and try to see my friends and I, mean, I think I'm even going to try to download FIFA for a little bit and and see if that'll keep me occupied. But yeah, I certainly don't think it'll be too long until I'm really, uh, uh, until I'm really looking forward to going back practicing and, and yeah, until I'm excited to, to play the game. You preempted my next question. I was going to ask, what does, what do you do just to unwind and step away from golf for, for even a little while? Because it, that is very important just to have that time away from golf. So is there about FIFA? I was saying, is there any Netflix series you're going to kind of sink your teeth into or is there anything just to take your mind off golf for those whatever it is, a couple of hours every day or even just, just to get that break that you need? Uh, no, not really. You know, I I suppose I need to give myself just a bit of headspace because everything's very, you know, it's high intensity when you're on the road. And uh, yeah, it's I, I think the first thing I need to do is just kind of throw, throw away my phone for a bit. Don't uh, don't be relying on my phone too much and, you know, just do something that'll, that'll kind of relax my mind and... Um, yeah, I think something like the PlayStation would be perfect now, or even tripping up a couple of books, maybe watch a, a Netflix series, and uh, yeah. But certainly, it won't be it won't be too long now until things are all go again, and I have to I have to get back into the routine of you know waking up, working out, practicing, 
and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I don't think I'll have to worry about it for too long, thankfully. I think you, you've, you've earned this time off with your heroics over the last couple of months. Um, thanks for joining us on the podcast again, John, and continued success. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Ballinascarty claimed their seventh ever Carberry Junior A hurling championship crown when they beat St. Mary's 22 points to 14 at Ahamilla last Saturday week. They're going to take on passage this weekend in the county championship. And in a few moments, we're going to speak to their captain, Owen O'Brien, about the win and about their big game this weekend. But Kieran, before we hear from Owen, there are several other West Cork teams in championship action this weekend, including Town, who are up in a senior A knockout game. Yeah, since we're on the podcast last Jack, there's an, an awful lot has happened on the, the county championship scene and there's been good and bad news for, for West Cork Club. So before I look at this weekend's fixtures, just a quick update. Um, both Castlehaven and Clannacilty are true to the Premier Senior Football Championship semi-finals, which, which is superb. And those semi-finals are on Sunday week, the 14th, and Clan and Haven are on opposite sides of the draw. So potentially, fingers crossed, we could have an all-West Cork final there, which would be the dream for us here in the Stars. So we're going to have Clan taking on Douglas and Castlehaven taking on the Bears. Also, on the same weekend, Donnies are in a Senior A Football Championship semi-final when they take on St. Michael's. Donnies had a superb win uh, last weekend against Knock Degree. Mark Buckley was the man at the moment. He, he kicked 1-5 um, as they booked their, their spot in the semi-final. So that's, that, that's brilliant news for those three West Cork football teams. On a, on a, I suppose on a, on a low note last weekend, Bentry Blues are relegated from the Senior A Football Championship. They were well beaten by Bishopstown in their playoff and the Bandon Hurlers are relegated from the Senior A Hurling Championship. So both Bentry and Bandon in football and hurling will be playing at Premier Intermediate level next year, which is a, a blow to both of those clubs. And you mentioned this weekend, Newcastle are taking on Kent Turk in a Senior A Hurling Championship semi-final. That's in Parky Creeve on Saturday evening at 7pm. And Newcastle had a terrific quarter-final win last weekend over Mallow. So they're going to be bouncing into this game on, on Saturday night against Kent Turk. And it's the second season in a row, Newcastle are in a Senior A Hurling Championship semi-final. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that they can get the job done and get through to the final there. Also, this weekend, Jamie Walls, Kilbritton are taking on Tracton in a lower intermediate hurling championship semi-final. That's in Ballinspittle on Saturday at 3.45pm. And, and Kilbritton have been in terrific, 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 even form. Terrific. Terrific, terrific form in the, in the championship so far. They topped their group with three wins from three. And they're scoring heavy this year. They're scoring an awful lot. They're the top score, the second top scorers in the championship, but they also have the best defensive record. So um, again, hopefully touch wood, things go well for Kilbritton um, against Tracton. And, and also the Carby Junior A football final is on this Thursday night in Dunmanway. It's Tyg McCorrig against St. Mary's. And it's actually the first time these two clubs have met at this stage of the competition. And the winner of that will be in, in county action this weekend as well. Um, I think they're playing on on Sunday um, against, I think it's Bellinhasig, yeah, Bellinhasig in Bandon at 1pm on, on Sunday, either Cora or St Mary's will, will be in action there. So there's an awful lot going on. And sorry, just to mention too, Orhan footballers are taking on Bright Rovers in another junior A football quarterfinal that is on in Ahiol this Saturday at, at 2pm. And I have an interview um, and a piece about Orhan in this Thursday Southern Star because Orhan are going into this county junior 
a football championship off the back of playing no championship games whatsoever because Orhan are the only junior A team in Beira. So they automatically just go into the county championship with feck all preparation, to be quite honest, um, just challenge games and league and one league game in, in the last couple of months. So it's far from ideal. So as you can see from that, it's a it's a busy weekend still on the, on the county championship front and Bell will be in action too. They're taking on passage in a junior A hurling quarterfinal in Brinney um, at 2pm on Saturday. Um, big game for Bell coming off the back of a brilliant win against St Mary's in the in the recent Carberry Junior A hurling final, and I caught up with Bell captain Owen O'Brien to chat about that win, how it came about, and also their county title aspirations. We're joined now on the Star Sport podcast by Ballinascarty hurling captain Owen O'Brien to to reflect on the club's recent Carberry Junior A hurling championship final win. You got your hands back in the flyer nine, Owen. How, how does that feel? Ah, oh, yeah, it feels brilliant. Yeah, we're delighted to win now. Um... I suppose they're a bit disappointed the way we went out last year. We didn't come through COVID too great. Um, I suppose just in the, the time off, we didn't work hard enough. We didn't do enough by ourselves and it kind of showed in both hurling and football. And um, yeah, we're delighted to win it back now. Um, it's our fourth final now in five years, I think. So um, it's good to, it's good. We've only won uh, two of them. So it's good to, good to get our hands back in the trophy area. Just to touch on last year, so for a second, you were coming off the back of 2019 when you won the won the title, and that was for the first time in 19 years. So that was obviously a huge high for the club, for the team, because you'd um, you'd ended a long wait to be Carby Junior hurling champions again. So when you're on, when when you're top of the charts, you're there to be knocked off. And like you said, you probably found it hard last year, but you still got to the semi final. You, you still did well to get to the last four. We did, yeah. But I suppose looking back in a few games, we were lucky to get there. Um, we beat Donnie's in the first round. A game that we're probably lucky to get through, and we're the same thing in the quarterfinal against Kilmeen. That we were, we were five points down in the last kind of 15 minutes, but somehow we fought it back. And I suppose that doesn't work every game. And we were found out big time then against Mary's in the semi final. I think they not sure the final score now, but they beat us by 15 or 16 points in the end. So, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good feeling out last year, especially after the, the high of the year before. Obviously, hurting so through through the winter last year, and probably kind of intent to make up for, for that this season. And, and you have done in style. But then, did you kind of lean on the hurt of last year and your performances, and and that feeling? Okay, we can do a lot better here, lads. Did you lean on that to kind of to set up the run that you went on this year? A small, but we did. Yeah, um, I suppose the end of last year, we were very disappointed the way we got knocked out, and we we're all buzzing to get back training, and then. Training was pushed back so far. We didn't come back until April, but um, we're all giving our kind of um, our own programs and stuff to work away with. And to be fair to all the lads, they really did. And the fitness levels this year have been have been really good, and you can see it in the work rate and stuff. So, so um, yeah, we're delighted. We're delighted with um, our work rate now this year, and um, hopefully we can keep going now for another few weeks. Um, like your your work rate is one thing. Your scoring was something else this year. I was looking through the your 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 run to the Carbage. The, the Carby Junior hurling title. Um, B Plunkett's in round one, three eighteen. You put up. Um, Plunkett's got one eight. You got four twenty seven against Bandon in the quarter final. Um, two two big scores, and that's since you did the semi final against Donnie's, who had Detroit Clan. So going into that semi final against Donnie's, were you kind of did you know you were onto something good here? Um, well, we knew if we kept the work rate up, that we'd 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 um we'd been with a chance against anybody. Um, 
like you're saying there, the big scores, a lot of those are coming from uh, turnovers in the forwards. So the defending really starts in the first line of attack with Brian, Brian Donovan, Keen Ryan and uh, Owen Ferguson up there. And um, it just kind of filters back through the field and it makes the, the ball coming out from, let's say, op- opposition defences. Um, it's not as clean coming into our defences, so our, into our back line. So we can um, we can just kind of deal with it that bit better and it just kind of sets up the lads then for scores. So it really is coming from the work rate from the lads in, in the inside forward line and working its way back. What is key to a good work rate? Because every team wants to work hard, but it doesn't always necessarily translate like that. I'm going to use a, a soccer analogy for a second. That United-Liverpool game recently, United didn't work hard at all and they paid the price for it. Liverpool worked extremely hard and, and they won 5 minute at Old Trafford. Um, and the follow-up from that United game was, well, the players don't work hard enough. And how does how does a team work hard? Is it is it literally the mindset that you go out there to work hard and chase down, hunt down every ball? Yeah, that, that's basically it. Just every ball we want to win, um, just kind of make it a battle, I suppose. Um, it's it's no good if if one fellow is working hard. You know, every everyone has to work hard, and even if one fellow isn't working hard, it really tells. So it really is. Um, a 15, 20 man, 25 man effort, even in training and stuff, really pushing ourselves hard. And we have a big panel there now this year, and um, just the subs are kind of pushing the, the fellas who are starting, and it's just kind of making um, it's making the coach's job very hard to pick the team. But it's um, it's it's great feeling in training and stuff that we're pushing the starting team, and they know that if they don't work hard, that that they'll be coming off. So it's just an incentive for them. You can see that competition for places that really kind of showed in the results. And like I mentioned, you went into the semi-final against Donnie's. You beat him 119 to 17, and that set up the final against St. Mary's. Um, and Val won that 22 points to 14 recently in Clan. And John Murphy, our reporter there, um, he was very, very impressed with the performance. Tom Lyons called it an, an almost complete performance by Bell. Um, when you evaluated the game after the days afterwards, how happy were you with your showing against Mary's? Yeah, I suppose we started slow. We started very slow. We were we were six. We were definitely five five one down, if not six one down. So um, you know that that really has to change. And you know, we're starting slow, kind of in every game. I know we started we started well against Donnie's, but um, we went I think five one up. But then we conceded the next five or six scores. So um, other teams will punish on that. So that's really something we do have to work on. And that was the the one kind of takeaway we took from the game. Um, apart from that, we were happy enough. We were happy with, with again our work rate and um, our decision making and stuff. So, and do, do you find too own that you're, the fact you won the title back in 2019 that you have that experience? You know what the the Carby hurling final is about. You know how to win a Carby hurling final. Uh, do you think that's too cheek against Marys because Marys haven't won this title yet? So I know they're back in the final again, uh, again, but they haven't that experience that you're able to call on. Yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, we're in the same situation as Mary's. We're now this year, back in uh, 2019, we'd lost the two previous finals to Clan and Kilmeen. So, um, yeah, I suppose um, experience in those games, the nerves can get the fellas. I know in the in the 2017 final, we were very nervous and we just, we didn't start well at all in that game against Clan and the game was pretty much over at halftime. So, um, yeah, I suppose we can lean on that experience a small bit and um, just kind of settles, settles the nerves a small bit. And um, I suppose, yeah. For this group of players to own, like you mentioned there, like this is your fourth final in five years, which is an incredible record. 
to now have two medals to show from it. Do you, do you think that's important? Like because you've been one of the most consistent and best teams in Carberry Junior hurling the last couple of years, but now you have two winners' medals to show. You know, kind of let's say for the legacy of this team, even going forward, that it was important to win it again to back up that twenty nineteen success. Yeah, I suppose it probably was, but I suppose medals is something you kind of look back on when you're when you kind of finish playing. Um, we had a quick chat about the, the final now, Tuesday night of training, and we just kind of parted from there and focused on next game now again on uh, Saturday against Passage. Like you said there, into the, the county junior A quarterfinal. It, it's Passage this Saturday in Brinney at 2 p.m. What's the what's the hope here? Like you want to go on a county run? Um, is, is, is that it? Take it one game at a time and see where you end up? Yeah, basically that's it. I mean, every team probably dreams of winning a county, but... Yeah, honestly, it's not been spoken of. We were just taking it one game at a time. Um, we know our passage are going to be a, a massive, um, is going to be a massive, massive game. They won the, the city final. Any, any team who comes out of that city division is going to be very strong. And um, yeah, I think they scored 16 in that final. So we're going to be, we're going to be up against it. But um, we just got to, again, work hard and back ourselves and hopefully we can pull through. You're looking at this battle team, so on. What are the strengths of this team? Um, I suppose I mentioned it already. We are we are working hard, but we're working hard for each other. So probably honesty is one of them. Um, our decision making is a lot better this year. I think um, in past years with the win there, especially now in the first half last week against Marys, we would have just launched ball in. But this year we're kind of we're just giving it to the man in the better position the whole time. Mm-hmm. So our decision making is probably a strength of ours. And um. Yeah, I, I suppose we're we're a fit team now as well. We've been working hard through, throughout COVID and and since COVID, we we've kept the fitness training up and stuff. So that's probably another strength of ours as well, I suppose. You're coming out of a, a very competitive Caribbean Junior Hurling Championship over the last couple of years. It's been a, a really good championship. Have you seen that yourself? That the standard is, is pretty good in Caribbean right now. Oh, definitely. Yeah, even um and throughout the throughout the, the grades, I suppose um. You've Kilbritton doing well there in intermediate, Newstone band are going well in the senior. So um and um the 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 underage in Caribbean is very very good as well. You can see um even around club now, Balascarty, the amount of young fellas who be down even at training, just poking the ball in, against the wall and stuff. It's um it's really great to see. So it's bound to it's bound to bring up the standard in Caribbean hurling. So long may it last, hopefully. And you mentioned there you were back to training the Tuesday night after you won the Caribbean final on the Sunday. Did you allow yourselves a night of celebration or was it straight back to work? Uh, I know we, we did celebrate. Yeah, it's it's important to celebrate these things too, I suppose, when you do win them. Um, I suppose they don't come around too often. But um, yeah, we, we celebrated um, Sunday night. But, you know, if, um, it's important not to over-celebrate these things too and get back to work. And that's what we did on training there on Tuesday night. So. I was reading through John Murphy's match report and he said Jeremy, Jeremy Ryan had a 100 metre free. That man could score from the other side of the field if he wanted to tie it today. Oh, I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah. He's, he's the best striker of all I've ever seen in my life, to be honest with you. He's, some of the stuff he can do are ridiculous. He scored a sideline too. I'd say he's probably 50 yards out with the sideline. So um, there's, there's not much he can do, you know, to be fair to him. That's a great weapon to have in the arsenal. Like, like especially when you're going into now, like we're we're in November. Uh, we don't know what the weather will be like. Like, if, if there is freeze, but to have someone from place balls who you're confident can just can puck it over from wherever, like whatever angle, whatever distance. Like, that's a. It's great to have a fellow like that in the team. It is. It's a massive weapon, I suppose. Yeah, it's a massive weapon. Um, he's he's been at it. He's been doing it for years. To be honest, it's it all comes out to, to practice and stuff. I suppose he's below it. He's a lot of training for anyone that's practicing freeze and sidelines and 
you see you see um you see the results of it there and like like we did there on uh, Sunday in um the, the final. Hopefully, hopefully things will work out for you this Saturday. And um, thanks all for joining us on the podcast. Best look, look against passage and fingers crossed, Jerry, you're going a good one in the county. Sure, thanks so much, Karen. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And quickly, Kieran, before we wrap up, what can newspaper readers expect from this Thursday's sports section? Plenty of hurling previews, I assume. Anything else you want to flag? Yeah, it's uh, at this stage of the season with the GA season in full swing and and hurtling towards the business end. We have a lot of hurtling. GA coverage yeah, like there. Um, so like Clannacilty's super win over to Hello, full page on that. Castlehaven win, win over Valley, full page on that. Full page on the Newstone Hurlers, full page on Donny, <laughs> full page on Bentry. Um, it's it's packed. It's a really, really good sports section this week. I have an interview with Jamie Wall about Kill Britain. Um, I, I spoke to Martin McCarthy from Orhan about their their preparations for their junior their junior A football championship quarterfinal. Um, big news in Musgree on Tuesday night was Ahina won their first ever Musgree junior football title. Did a super win over um, over Bell and Colleague. And, and he was Liam Tuhig as a star of the show. He got 1-11 of their total, which is uh, incredible scoring. So we have a, a full page there for on Ahina's historic win. So that's one for their fans and supporters to get their hands on and um, and keep to keep this week's Southern star. Also, Valley Rovers won the county ladies intermediate football championship. So they're going up senior. Then at senior level, the clan and can say ladies both bowed out. Sticking with ladies football for a second, we have a reports on uh, the Dawnies and Castlehaven ladies won their junior A semi-finals last weekend. And it means we have an all-West Cork County junior A football ladies final coming up between Dawnies and Castlehaven on Saturday the 13th at CIT. So that that that's that's definitely worth checking out. Um We've uh, our rugby pages back up and running, and we've reporting pictures from Bend and beating Clannacilty in the Munster Junior League Conference B last weekend, and we've a hell of a lot more as well. It's just a, it's just a packed Southern Star. So Thursday morning, Friday morning, or whatever whatever day your Star Day is, make sure you pick up this week's Southern Star just for the sport alone, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mention every week, the Southern Star can also be purchased as a digital edition and read on your computer tablet or smartphone and you can subscribe for less than two euro per week absolute bargain just one final thing that i want to flag before we wrap up today's show and i'm just trying to get the address correct before i read it out but the southern star is currently running a big readers survey across our web social media and print and basically what this is we want to hear from you our valued readers every few years the southern star engages in this sort of research and it basically helps us plot out the future of the southern star that's in sport that's in digital that's in print that's in how we do our marketing that's future products we might launch that's this very podcast so it would be great if any of you who want to feedback about the southern star across all departments just head over to southernstar.ie and you'll see it's flagged all over the website and the real kicker is 
there's 500 euro cash up for grabs and all you have to do is fill out the survey so imagine getting 500 euro for 10 minutes work wouldn't we all love that so just go to southernstar.ie i don't have the exact address because i'm not as professional as i thought i was but you'll find it it's on our website 500 euro up for cash help us shape the future of the southern star that's what we're asking so please help us with that but anyway that's all we've got time for on this week's star sport podcast it's good to be back We'll be back at the same time next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Salaam Tamil.